if you will open your Bibles to the book of John, we'll go to chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. That's the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. And it reads as follows. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Thank you, and please be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you this evening, and I'm very grateful for your presence tonight. Thank you, Scott, for reading our scripture, and Lynn for leading us in singing this evening. And as was made in our announcements, there are a number who are out because of traveling and family concerns, and we do appreciate you remembering them in our prayers. And, of course, those who may be visiting with us tonight, we're very grateful to have you as well. You always find a very warm introduction and and invitation to come and be with us at the Broadway Church of Christ. We plan to be leaving for Family Matters tomorrow. We'll be traveling for Memphis, Tennessee, and spend a few days there and be back and be back with you, I think, Thursday is our plan. And so please do keep us in your prayers as we travel to be with our family. This morning we talked about Jesus and understanding Jesus better. And I'd like to continue the thought tonight, though, from a different perspective. I'd like to talk just a few minutes tonight about the I Am sayings of Jesus. You probably are familiar with these particular passages. There are a number of them, and I'll not try to cover all of them tonight. But I would like to talk about just a few that I think are very important. They're all important, but I'd like to talk about just a few tonight that really speak to our heart and really speak to our mind. Before I do that, though, I need to set the stage. I need to help us understand something of what was going on during that day and that time. It begins back in about John chapter 8. And there the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees is getting to a high pitch and a high level. Um, One instance, Jesus says that they are children of the devil, verse 44. They turn around and say that Jesus has a demon and is possessed of a demon. You can see that they're not getting along very well at all, are they? The main problem that the Pharisees are having is that they have a great prejudice against Jesus and what Jesus is saying. One of the problems that they have is they want to literalize everything Jesus says. And a lot of what he is saying, of course, is a matter of uh, figurative expression, trying to help them understand their spiritual condition before God. It reaches such a point where they're ready to pick up stones and stone Jesus. Jesus. He asked them, which one of you accuseth me of sin? And of course, none of them could do it. But yet, because they couldn't answer his arguments and his discussions, they're going to resort to violence and in turn would do away with him if they probably could. Notice what it says in John chapter 8, verse 24. Very important passage in that regard. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. 
Now, the John 8, 24 passage, I think, is a very important one because it does describe for us the significance of these particular matters. We've got to come to understand who and what Jesus is. And this is the problem that they were facing. He's rebuking these unbelieving Jews. They have spiritual blindness. They won't listen. They're prejudiced. They have their preconceived ideas already lined up against him and will not have anything to do with what he's trying to say. Everything he says, they try to misunderstand it and misconstrue it, take it in the wrong possible way. Well, you have in this verse, John 8 and 24, an interesting passage. Now, if you're reading out of the King James Version, you see that the word he is in italics. And they try to tell you that the translators are adding that to help the meaning of the passage. But I don't know that they're really helping when they do. This English Standard Version follows suit. Once again, it says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, and here's the word that's added, he, you will die in your sins. Well, you ought to mark John chapter 8, verse 24. Now, the reason I'm focusing on verse 24, and particularly this one word, he, I want us to know that it is added to the text. It was not in the original text, he. Uh, What the original text is saying in that passage is, I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. The translators have added the word he. Now this is much of what Jesus was saying in verse 58. As you go to the same chapter in the 58th verse, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now there they got it right. This is what Jesus is trying to say. He's talking about the eternal nature of the Son of God. And he's trying to express to them that he's not just a human being. He's not just a great teacher. Some things which we brought up this morning. But he is God's only begotten Son that has come to the earth, come to this life, to live and die for the sins of mankind and be raised from the dead by the power of God. Perhaps a good way to understand what's going on in this struggle between the two, the Pharisees and Sadducees and Jesus and their unwillingness to understand, their unwillingness to be a part of what Jesus is teaching them, could be found in Exodus chapter 3. In the third chapter of Exodus in the Old Testament, You have God telling Moses, go to the nation of Egypt and free his people. And you understand that story. You'll remember it well, how that God told him that he'd heard the cry of his people and he's sending him down there to uh, free them. But before he goes, Moses asks the question, Yes, Lord, but who shall I say sends me? And from the burning bush, God speaks to Moses and says, Tell them, I am sends you. I am. Well, when God spoke to Moses in Exodus 3 and told Moses, I am, Jesus is telling the Pharisees in John chapter 8, I am. Just as the I am refers to God in Exodus chapter 3, the I am refers to Christ in John chapter 8. The prejudice of the Pharisees and Sadducees refused to see that. They ask the question, well, who does he think he is? And Jesus goes through this discussion in this chapter. It's a wonderful discussion. We should spend some time talking about chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, and just going through verse by verse and looking at it point by point. The passage is being very clear. 
the eternality of the Christ. He didn't have a beginning. We learned that this morning. With that background and that better understanding of what's taking place in this section of the Bible, I'd like to look at a few of the I Am passages of Jesus tonight. The first one that I selected here from this paragraph comes from John chapter 6. And I ask your consideration of that matter where he says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 35, you have this wonderful passage of Scripture, whereupon he's saying in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Well, he certainly is teaching us of the importance of us coming to appreciate Jesus as to who and what he is. But notice as he goes on down, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They just can't get it. It's clear they can't understand the point that he's making. They were prejudiced. They had made up their minds ahead of time before viewing the evidence. They were very carnally minded, which is the point of John chapter 6. And they insisted on giving a literal interpretation to these figurative statements which he had made. Now, if you go back to the first part of John chapter 6, you see this wonderful miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two small fish. It was a miraculous multiplication of that material. And he goes on and tells them as the crowd continues to press against him. He says, you're following me for the loaves and the fishes. In verse 26, Jesus said, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. There's always those who will follow after the material aspects of the matter. They were concerned, carnally speaking, about being filled. They weren't concerned about the teaching. They weren't concerned about the great miracle which proved his teaching. They were just concerned about eating more physical food. And Jesus tells them this is the wrong motivation. You see, whenever we try to induce people to obey the gospel simply by means of physical means, by that I mean trying to give to them this physical element or that physical element, we're really using the wrong motivation toward getting people to obey the Word of God. People are to obey the Word of God from the heart. They're to obey obey the Word of God out of a pure conscience and a pure mind. They are to come to see that the Word of God is just that, the Word of God, and that they need to obey it because it's what they really need. They need the teaching. They need the doctrine which Jesus and the inspired apostles are giving, not because of the gimmicks of this and the gimmicks of that. There's been way too much of that, whereby we tried to persuade people to become children of God simply because of the gimmicks which we could produce and could provide for them. Jesus said, you didn't come for the miracle or the sign. It wasn't that you were convinced by this great God-produced miracle, but you came because of the loaves and the fishes, and that's why you're following me. Verse 26. But Jesus is giving life-sustaining bread when he says that I am the bread of life. And we might ask the question, how does he do that? And that's what the rest of this chapter of John chapter 6 is about. Notice verse 45. It is written in the prophets, 
and they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes by me. That's the way converts are made. That's the way people are to come to Christ because they've learned and they've studied and they understand the Word of God and they're convinced by the cogent power of the Word of God to change their lives for what is right. Notice what he says in our chapter here, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, He's not talking about the loaves and the fishes there that they were trying to follow. But he's talking about the teaching. It is the teaching of Christ that sustains. It is the teaching of Christ that gives life. It is the word of Christ that gives us the faith that we truly need in order to be pleasing in the sight of God by our obedient action. Now Peter gets the point. You see, I'm working out of John chapter 6 and this wonderful statement, I'm the bread of life. The teaching of the Word of God is producing faith and thus sustains them spiritually, not the physical. Now, when he goes into this elaborate discussion, and he's telling them again about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and he's really talking about this matter of accepting and embracing the Word of God, accepting the teaching of Jesus Christ, some of them began to say, this is a hard saying. He says, and they say in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They really didn't understand it. And he turns to his apostles and he asks them, will you also go away? And you have this inspired statement by Peter in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, John 6, 68 What Peter is saying is, you are the bread of life. Just as man cannot sustain himself without the bread, so we spiritually cannot sustain ourselves without the Word of God. We've got to have the bread of life to give us spiritual life. We've got to obey the bread of life in order to sustain our spiritual life. And without it, we cannot survive. We're not talking about, nor was Jesus talking about physical food. Jesus was talking about the spiritual food. The teaching. He is the bread of life. Brethren, let's go to the bread of life to learn what we need to be. Let's go to the bread of life to learn how we ought to act and how we ought to behave. Let's go to the Word of God and accept the teaching of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that will lead us into pathways of righteousness. I love talking about Jesus, the bread of life. Without Him, we could not survive. Without His Word, without His teaching, we would die spiritually. Well, not only does he talk about himself as being, I am the bread of life, but he also talks about himself in John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. Now, I know that you've read these particular passages, but just study about them a little bit today, especially from the context of, of the calendar today and our discussion about understanding the true nature of Jesus and what he's about and how important he ought to be for our lives. Now I'm in John chapter 8, and I'm looking at verse 12. Again, Jesus spake to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a great expression. But it's used a number of times. Let me see if I can find these passages for you and for your consideration. I'm thinking of John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, it comes to us in about verse 5. 
As long as I am in the world, notice what he says, I am the light of the world. Let's go to another passage that comes to mind, John chapter 1. Now I know you're very familiar with this. It's found in verse 4 and verse 5. Talking about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This matter of Jesus being the light of the world simply is to say that Jesus occupies that place in our lives spiritually, that the Son occupies in our life physically. We'd not be able to live without the Son. Uh, the Son that gives us warmth and gives us energy. That which God created in the long ago, we wouldn't be able to sustain life on earth without the sun. It's warmth, it's energy, it's light. Where would we be without the sun? And that's the point about being the light of the world. When he talks about, I'm the light of the world, he's not talking about the physical sun. But understanding the physical sun helps me understand what he's saying about himself. That I wouldn't be able to sustain myself without the light of the sun. Or with no Christ, there'd be no spiritual life. You know, when you have light, you can see clearly, can't you? You walk into a dark room, you don't know what's in the dark room if there's no light there to light up the room. But once the light comes on, then you know where all the furniture is in the room and you can avoid knocking into some of the furniture. It's a simple illustration, but it helps us see how important the light is to clear the way so that we can see and understand who we are and what we are. Old Testament writers would talk about the Word of God being light. In Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of your words gives light, the Bible writer tells us. That's why John says it's important for us to walk in the light, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. In fact, it's a good verse for us to turn to. It tells us a great deal about our relationship with Him, who is the light of the world. This is the message we have heard from Him, verse 5, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And here's the thought that I really had in mind originally, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. When He talks about walking in the light, it is but a metaphor to mean walk according to the teaching of Christ and the Word of God. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, He is saying in that regard that without me you do not know what's right from wrong. In a world filled with ignorance... It is only Christ as the light and His Word that can erase that ignorance. With Christ being the light of the world, it's the only way that we can receive forgiveness of our sins. With a world filled and saturated with sin, the light of the world and the blood of Christ redeems the individual based on his obedient faith. You see, living in a world filled with darkness... The only way that we'll be able to see is through the light of Jesus Christ. Death is all around us. Death would be our final uh, expectation. 
And that would be the end of it. But because Christ is the light of the world, then we can overcome death because of his word and his truth. Death doesn't have the meaning it otherwise would have for us because as children of God, we prepare ourselves for it and for the life that we expect on life's other side. And therefore, he would say in Hebrews 5 and verse 9, that he's the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him because he is the light. Without the Son, there would be no life. Without God's Son, there would be no spiritual life. Therefore, he says, I am. A statement of eternality. The light of the world. Without him, we would be in perpetual darkness and not know what to do, nor would we know how to go. But I want to spend just a few more minutes tonight talking about these wonderful statements, these I am statements, and I'm not going to try to exhaust them all this evening, but I want to talk about another one that I think is a very interesting one and one which you and I should come to understand better. And I selected this as the means of our lesson text tonight, and I'll spend a little more time with it, particularly verses 7 through 9, Jesus being the door. <clears throat> now, it comes in the context of John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, it's obvious that he's speaking symbolically here, figuratively here. Skip on down to verse 6 before I explain the parable. Skip to verse 6 and notice how the reaction of the audience is. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand that he, what he was saying to them. Now, I think the reason for that is they tried to literalize everything that Jesus said. It goes further than that into the points that I'd mentioned earlier. They were prejudiced. They were hard-hearted, of course. But they tried to literalize everything. And so here now he's talking about a, a sheepfold. Now, by Western standards, we probably need to ask ourselves the question, well, what does he mean by that? And basically he's saying, he's talking about a gate. And there was sort of a, I guess by our standards, we might call it a corral or some kind of fenced area whereby the sheep would be placed at night. And then the shepherd will be at a gate. The only way in and out of the sheepfold, the corral, or the fenced area to protect the sheep from predators or from thieves. There might be an individual who'd be hired, a trusted individual to watch through the night at the gate so that the sheep would not come out or they would not go in and disturb the sheep to destroy them or to steal them. And so he tells them that the sheepfold by the door that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, that's the gatekeeper, you see, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, no doubt he's talking in, in that respect about the Pharisees. He's talking in that respect about any who would consider themselves to be messiahs, but are not, who try to come into the sheepfold, into the enclosure, designed to protect the sheep. They try to come in another way, but their motivation is to thie, to steal and to rob. Thievery, that's the motivation behind them. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So now, 
you know, he sort of mixes the metaphors a little bit here. In one instance, he's talking about, I am the door. Another instance, he's talking about the shepherd, but it's the same point that's being made. The shepherd would be at the door to protect the sheep. The sheep know the shepherd. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought them out, all his own goes before him, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And we need to understand it. What he's saying in this regard, he is the good shepherd. He is the door. And without him, we would have no relationship with him. You see... A gate or a door implies a within relationship or a without relationship. With this door, I'm either within the sheepfold or I am without the sheepfold. For me to be within the sheepfold, I'll have to go through the door. I'll have to, if I want to be part of the sheep, I'll have to go through the shepherd. I can't climb in another way. There's no way to crawl over the enclosure and get inside to the sheepfold. There's only one way, and that's his point. I'm the door. The only entrance for the spiritual sheep is through Jesus Christ. And they couldn't get it. They couldn't understand it. It's still that way today. The only way that I can be in Christ in this new relationship with Jesus is through Jesus Christ. I can't get in in any other way. Jesus said, I am the door. I'll stop and think about that. Did Abraham say he was the door? No. Did Moses say he was the door? As great a man as Moses was, was Moses the door? No. Did David ever say he was the door? No. As great a man as David was, king of Israel, he's not the door. What about John the Apostle or John the Baptist? Could they say or did they ever say that they were the door? No. They are not the door. There's only one who is the door. The without relationship is thus changed only by going through the gate through the door to become a part of the sheepfold. He says in verse 7, I'll continue the reading just a little bit. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 7. It's the only way you can be a part of it is through Jesus Christ. You know, there have been a lot of people that come along through the ages. Joseph Smith's not the door. Mary Baker Eddy is not the door. No prophet's the door. No priest is the door. No preacher is the door. Only Jesus is the door. The one who blesses our lives. What an amazing statement for him to make. I'm the door. And no one else is. And what is that door? But the divide between this world 
and eternal happiness with God. And the only way that I can receive that eternal happiness with God, the blessings that God wants me to enjoy in this life and the life to come, is through that door. By being obedient to Him and being faithful to His Word, receiving His love and kindness, I accept His teaching. I repent of my sins. I'm baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. And I walk through that door. The only entrance to the blessings of God. And what's on the other side of that door? Divine pasture for the sheep. God continues to care for us. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Is he talking about the physical pasture there? Certainly not. He's talking about the spiritual blessings that God has in store for those who obey him. He's talking about the physical blessings which God wants us to have, the forgiveness of sin and eternal life in him in the life to come. That divine pasture also has with it divine security. He tells us in the passage, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. He protects the sheep. It is because of his relationship that we have with him. This divine fellowship that we now enjoy because of Christ and only Christ well this discussion goes on in chapter 10 I wanted to present these particular elements tonight because they help us understand more about our relationship to Christ and how important it is for us to have it he is the good shepherd he is the door he is the light of the world Where would we be without that? He is the bread of life, the one that sustains us. Now, I could go on, I suppose, with regard to these sayings of Jesus, the I am sayings of Jesus, and there are a number. But these are sufficient for us to understand more about who Jesus is and our desperate need for him. You being here tonight, if you never obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to do so tonight. To repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ and be a participant in the sheep of which we've been reading and studying about tonight. If you've been unfaithful to the Word of God, I encourage you to repent of that condition tonight and enjoy the blessing of forgiveness which can be yours. And I encourage you to do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.